Tamsin Lewis, Saturday night here, we're freezing our butts off, we're all really rugged up, but look, you've been around for a long time, I've been around longer, but how, <laughs> really just. how good was tonight for athletics? Do you know that back end of tonight's program is exactly what athletics needed and it's what athletics is about. It was exciting, it was fast paced, we had people booking their tickets to an Olympic Games and the sprinters that took the titles in Hannah Bassick and Rowan Browning, you know, they were brilliant characters and they're great role models for the sport and they were articulate and they were fun and you could just see the happiness and the emotion on their face they were really stoked to be you know the national champions and that's what it's about yeah certainly is so good night and look kennedy you know some great performances out there tonight. Great to see Catherine Mitchell back. Yes. You know. Oh my goodness, seeing Catherine Mitchell back and then the interview with her where she got really emotional because she hasn't seen her coach and partner Uva yeah. for 18 months. Like that broke me. I mean, that is super hard. You think about 18 months to not be able to see your partner or your coach and you're trying to go to Olympic Games and she's just phenomenal. You know, we saw her with what she was capable of doing at the Commonwealth Games when she threw that area record. And having her back on the track, you know, we know that she's, you know, she's getting older, but she's still got that ability. And if she can get her um, performances back to where she was at in 2018, we're talking gold medal chance. And we've got Kelsey Lee Barber as well, who will find her rhythm and she'll come back. And what a wonderful, wonderful duo to have leading into Tokyo. Look, you know, we we often bemoan the fact we don't get a lot of press, but when you look through the lineup that we've got in this team going to Tokyo, there's some stars. You know, Brandon Stark. Mm-hmm. Brandon Stark's another one. I mean, you know, he's he's a talented athlete. He's won Diamond Leagues. He went to Doha, and I think he finished sixth in that ridiculously good competition at the World Champs that Bashim won. Um, we've got him. We've got Curtis Marshall and Nina Kennedy. Lyndon Hall breaking four minutes at Box Hill before she came here to the National Championships is just first female Australian. And you think about some of our 1,500 runners that we've had have been quality and she's top of the bunch. And, you and know, to do it at home, though, wasn't that good so at Box special. Hill? It so was, special. It was so special. What about even more special at Essendon, I suppose? <laughs> Box Hill will do. Victoria's fine. I think she had her family and friends there. But it was, you know, she's made every post a winner this season. Um, you know, fantastic effort to take that national title. Oh, well, Tamsin, great chatting to you. We've got another day to go. No, two days to go. Yeah, two days to go. Can you believe that? Two days to go. It's been a fabulous competition so far, and it was just brilliant to see such great competitors out there tonight. Thanks for your time. Too easy. Sean Whip, welcome to episode 56. We've just heard Tamsin very excited on the Saturday night mm. and that was before even Sunday afternoon hit us. So what are nationals? How are you feeling after eight days? <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty exhausted but uh, I, I think nationals always reminds me why I first fell in love with the sport in that you have such a variety of really positive stories coming out from it. You know, everything from those juniors that have a really enjoyable or really positive first comp all the way through to those athletes that we've seen develop over the season, years, decades, however long it may have been, to the the pinnacle of the sport and those athletes that will represent Australia uh, in Tokyo. So the range of emotions that you get to see from athletes, family, friends, coaches, supporters, the whole lot uh, is just absolutely phenomenal, uh, especially throughout that Saturday and Sunday night. Did you come away from Sydney, and for you via Maroochydore, unfortunately, um, <laughs> feeling that the sport's in a good position? 
Oh, I, th- I think it's important to be honest. I think it's it's yes and no. I think there are things that are getting better, but I think especially with how the world is at the moment with travel, uh, which at times is somewhat of an uncontrollable, um, the senior athletes and especially those in the under-20 group, I know sometimes world under-20s is seen as a bit of a bugbear for development, you know, in terms of pushing athletes towards something. But I think there are definitely some difficulties in terms of how the elite end of the sport approaches the next, you know, 12 to 24 months um, and something that I think a lot of athletes are looking for for guidance on. Um, but I think I, I think it's that space where it was, and this is the hard thing because at times it's anecdotal, but I did feel like I saw a number of new coaches in the junior ranks this year from Victoria, which is always really positive, and, and a number of coaches who said they had been brought in to a club or, or had been encouraged at their club to take on more athletes by senior coaches. Um, I don't know her last name, so I do apologise, but especially Cloder um, at Sandy with the, the jumps coaching and sort of sprints and just those. Cloder Grogan? Yeah, and, and just having those conversations with Kathy Woodruff and, and you know, the same scenario with a lot of other clubs that those generational coaches that have done it for 10, 20, 30 years really want to try and help bring through that next generation of coaches because as much as it is something that's voluntary and you want to be there and you want to, you know, have a positive effect on on a young individual's life, it is really draining being at Nationals because you've got to remember for each, you know, for, for the 700-odd kids we have on the Victorian team, you know, feasibly, that is the most important week of their year athletically. And I know we say, look, for under-14s, 15s, 16s, there still may be a participation element or it's fun. Uh, and that's not to say that nobody has fun after under 16s, but there becomes an awareness as they get older that it's something that they've put a lot of time into and they really want that performance outcome as well. So it's, it is a stressful environment for coaches in trying to manage all those expectations and emotions from athletes too. And as a lot of coaches would say, for as many athletes as they had that did very well, you're always going to come out of those championships with, you know, one athlete or more who's had a really frustrating or really disappointing nationals. And speaking to those coaches and watching and hearing how they handle those situations is, is always a, a really, a really fascinating pro- sort of learning process. Cool. Well, episode 56 has got 18 interviews uh, from trackside and in the field uh, from the national champs, mainly the open athletes, I will say, not many juniors. Uh, And we also have a feature interview with Brooke Stratton, which is just absolutely wonderful because Brooke is, um, you know, definitely one of the best products we've ever had at Athletics Victoria. And for her to win the national championship and nail the Olympic qualifier in the, with that four for temp of hers was was pretty good. So, look, it will be a longish episode. Sit down, enjoy the ride, listeners, because this is probably the best national trap you're going to get. So, Sean, let's start. Yeah, you know, we'll start with the sprints. 100 metres, Saturday night, cool night at SOPAC. Um, what, not what you'd say ideal sprinting weather. The G, the 200 final, sorry, the two 100 metre finals, not the 200 finals, uh, the two 100s, didn't they just turn it on for the crowd? Oh, it's, it's what I love about SOPAC, Tim. You've got a relatively decent crowd turned up this year and you could have heard, as the cliche, oh, the pin drop, pin drop for <laughs> Browning and Basic because it, I knew there was, there was no, no real sense of 
surprise in terms of the lineups for the finals, but you knew there were, were two individuals who had been head and shoulders above the, the nation for the year and the little added bonus of Eddie, uh, Osai and Keita in the men's, yeah, has been known to cause an upset. Uh, and this is what it all came down to. They had anywhere between, you know, 10 to 11 seconds to solidify their spot at the top. Yep, and Browning, how good did he do? Oh, and if there is, oh yeah, I'm not a sprint coach, you're not a sprint coach, but every sprint coach I felt like I spoke to said that Browning was textbook for what we were talking to a number of our guests about, you know, staying relaxed. You know, it, as Browning said in a number of his interviews in print, when it all works, it should look effortless. It should look easy. You know, moving at 11 metres per second, you know, it looks like he's not trying that hard. And it was a phenomenal run. Well, down the track has gone better than text. We have got the man <laughs> himself. I got him coming in the tunnel. It's only a quickie, but it's a good one. He was really, really professional about it. So listen, let's listen to Rowan Browning straight after his race. Final piece of the jigsaw tonight, Rowan yeah. Browning, wasn't it? That's right. That's what you needed. Yeah, very happy with that. You know, I just wanted to punch my ticket and now nobody can take it away from me. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Nice feeling. Consistency this year, that's your key, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it's all about in this sport. You know, you're not a 10.05 guy or a 10.09 guy until you sort of do it regularly. And, you know, I've run a few good times now, so I can sort of safely say I'm, I'm getting there. I'm turning in the right direction. Cooler night tonight too. Hannah Bassick said that she walked onto the track and she knew it had a, she had a one. Were you in the same mindset? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew that I was the favourite. And, you know, you know, I don't really like running like that. Uh, you don't want to be complacent. But, you know, it's impossible to be complacent when there are guys like Eddie Nikita running well and you just never know what he's going to pull out. So I just knew that if I could be the first one to the 10-metre mark, I'd, I'd have the race wrapped up. That, that was all I was focusing on. And that's the way it panned out, wasn't it? Yeah. Great start. You're out of the box really well and then just a beautiful finish. Yeah, thanks very much. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't a perfect race, but, uh, you know, it was... It was probably the best race I could have put together today in these conditions, and I'm, I'm happy with this one. You are the Australian champion. Thanks very much. Well done. Thank you. So by 10 metres, he knew he had it, and it was just, as you said, textbook from there, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, especially a few coaches I'd spoken to earlier in the year who were you know, quite experienced sprint coaches said even in that 996, his coach, Andrew Murphy, was a little bit critical of him in that he kind of rushed the finish in terms of he knew things were going really well and it was like he started to reach a little bit and those were kind of sprint analogies that I didn't quite understand in terms of running that fast or that smoothly but it looked like he just let everything unfold in that race and, and each phase of his race was uh, absolutely fantastic. Now Nikita came through for second but he's a Kiwi so we've got rid of yes. him. Yep. Who is who is third place and and silver medalist in the championship? <laughs> we've been on him since since way back. Joking. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the red flash from Geelong Guild. What what an absolute ripper of a run. Probably, I don't think it's his quickest time, but as we said, conditions weren't fantastic. It, it was so, not short weather. It was cold. No, it was cold. It was bloody freezing, actually. So mm-hmm. 10.41 for Penny. But the important thing, Sean, he's finished ahead of so many of those relay team contenders. Yeah, yeah. How it's important a, is that? Can you perform on the big stage? And yep. I think Jake has shown that. After ironing out a few false start issues, he is uh, he's a very competent championship racer. He's the real deal. Let's hear from him. Start of the season, Jake Penny, would you have thought you were going to be standing on the podium at the Australian National Championships? 
Probably definitely not standing on the podium, but definitely close just with how it was running. Yeah, we knew you season. were getting better, and you had a good season last year that led through to this year. But um, yeah, to be up there with Browning and uh, just must feel pretty special. Oh, it's surreal. I, like I come into it thinking like I'm a good a chance for a medal, but for it to actually happen, just absolutely stoked. Yeah, the race itself had to pan out for you. Um, probably not my best start. I sort of stuff like the start but I think after my transition I think I had best part of my best uh, 40 to 100 I've ever done I reckon I think I was probably just too stubborn to <laughs> fall that bar- far behind good to see in the John Gill colours too you must be proud to put oh. on the, the green and gold and red yeah I've just got such a good community down there surrounding helping me and favourite singlet too so always have to wear it well, it's a lucky single, isn't it, Jake? <laughs> exactly right. All right, well, well done, really. Congratulations, big Thank effort, you. great Thank year. You. Thank you. So I think a lot of happy Victorians weren't there, Sean, to see that. Look, Browning, the champ, 10.09 to win that, 10.31 for Nikita, and then 10.41 for Penny. Not far behind, uh, separated uh, very, very close, was 10.43, 10.43 for Roberts. Hale just being relegated to fifth. Uh, by the thousandth, and then Hartman ten forty eight, Greg ten forty nine, and the final finisher there. Sorry, ten fifty for as a party and Doran in ten fifty three. But as we see, Jake Penny is a full tenth of a second ahead of some of his major opposition for relay spots. So. Yeah, and I, and I don't think people can underestimate how much it takes out of those guys running rounds as well. It's it's very easy to point out singular times in the season when they've run faster, but it's a, it's a much different physical and psychological beast at Nationals. And another one of Down the Track's favourites, Hannah Bassick. What do you say, Sean? Oh, it was, it was it, on, on two fronts, it was so exciting to see her win. And you know, I, I think in terms of world rankings, she'll be fine to get that individual spot. But also still really encouraging to see her keep that mindset of being a little bit disappointed, a little bit frustrated in that she feels like that run of the Olympic qualifier and, and probably the national record as well is, is within her grasp. Uh, but I think if she can get some warmer weather and, uh, and a chocker's field, I think that's a time we see her run. Yeah, look, I think, you know, and we're not going to, you know, we're not in the, the job of pumping tyres up too much. But, look, the little talk about the national record being under threat by Hannah Bassick is, is real. That's real talk. Yeah. And, and yeah. certainly, um, you know, we'll be looking forward to her taking her, her spot in Tokyo because she, she well and truly deserves a spot there. But, uh once again, we did get the chance to have a little chat and um, it was enjoyable. So here's Hannah Bassick. Holy moly. Bassick, when we first met you, you were just a bit of a nobody. Mm. You're a somebody. Now I'm a somebody. Well, I was a somebody and then I sort of like fizzled off into nothingness and now I'm back with a vengeance. You are back. How? Look, that was an emphatic win. That's all I'll say. Mm. You were just out. You were gone. Yeah, well... Look, my semi, my start, I really didn't get it. Um, so, we, you know, we recouped over at the warm-up track and just said I really just need to rip it from the gun. Um, I, was, I still felt like I was holding back in the semi um, and, you know, just changed my whole mentality um, in the final and just need to go for it. So, did you, that. When did you know that, you know, that, that gold medal was yours? Um, when we walked out and I got my clothes off and I looked at the track. Wow. Yeah, I just knew, like, I just, it's just, I don't know, I just got a massive rush and um, I knew that it was there. Confidence is golden, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. And, you know, we've um, we've done so much work on mindset and confidence and things like that, which I haven't had 
for six, seven years. Um, so, you know, I'm on my eighth book at the moment. Um, just all about mindset and, you know, my favourite book is Relentless by Tim Grover. you just got to be relentless. Um, and that's what I've been. And, um, you know, like in an interview that I had recently, I used to get on the start line and, you know, pigeonhole myself and say, oh, I'm third or fourth, fifth, fifth, whatever, from where I just know where I'm at now. And, you know, that's without sounding arrogant and things like that. It's just belief and confidence. Hannah Bassick, it's just been great watching you this season. And uh, just a big congratulations Thank from you. everyone in Victoria. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Tim. So hooly dooly she starts off with. It was um, yeah, she was a pretty pleased girl. Look, yeah, she she knew it wasn't the perfect race, but uh, just to to nail that one. So ten, uh, sorry, eleven twenty three for for Basic, eleven fifty one Bree Masters who came on strong, and then Nara Nang eleven sixty two. They were the top three. Ebony Lane, I reckon she'll be a little bit disappointed with that eleven eighty two because I thought she was coming in with a real chance for a medal. Sophia Figuera, she came in at fifth position on eleven eighty. So pretty tight bunch, you know, around eleven eighty for eleven. 83 for those positions five through to eight um yeah. but as we said not a not a fantastic night for sprinting and they'd been through the multiple rounds but mm. uh yet again it was it was hannah's night wasn't it yeah yeah i think it's definitely an exciting question mark to have as to what the rest of her season looks like uh, but at one yeah it's a good problem to have when you're in that sort of shape all right, let's let's turn a little bit of attention on to the hurdles. We'll do the 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 hundreds and hundred and tens first. So women's women's open, uh, sorry, yeah, women's open hundred. You've got Liz Clay. You know what a class act is Liz Clay. Yeah, and she had an interesting post on the weekend that basically outlined each year of her career so far, uh, and people would be quick to forget that she had a number of incredibly disappointing last-minute sort of injuries that kept her out of either World Juniors or, or really diminished her performance at things like World Unis. Um, and I've, I've said in the past, you know, I think athletics is a little bit of a fickle sport where we're very quick to jump on the hype train when someone starts doing well. But I, I said the same to Anula Costa, one of our team managers. You know, there does need to be more focus, I think, on those periods of time in between in that as far as we're concerned, you know, when that track season is over for people who don't have a winter season – in terms, of comp- in terms of competing, that's a huge period of time that's up to the athlete and the coach and that support sort of group. You know, it, it, the, whether you want to continue with it and what level you want to continue with it at, you know, whether you're going to get lazy, whether you're going to really push on to those goals that you've set for yourself, um, there's a really substantive period of time that rests firmly with the athlete there. So for her to push through that the whole period of time and still be so, so consistent this season, uh, is very exciting for Australian hurdle stock and has dragged up or has forced up competitively the rest of the women's field. Which were Hannah Jones second in 13.09. 13.18 there for today from uh, New South Wales. Celeste Mucci was in fourth, 13.19, so very close to the medals there for Celeste. And Danielle Shaw was eighth in 13.95. Uh, let's look at the men's open 110 hurdles and we had Nick Hoff. Uh, he just continues from strength to strength. He is the man, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, he has a very distinctive style in that he seems pretty unaffected if ever he does clip a hurdle and even then that second half of his race is just so strong in terms of closing down um, a guy like Nick Andrews who's been such a fast starter and such a such a fast guy over the sort of first four to six hurdles uh, and to com- to keep that composure as well from from Nick Hoff in terms of knowing you're a little bit behind through anywhere from three to five hurdles and then just crashing down the final 
you know, final couple. Um, yeah, really experienced campaigner. So our Victorian champion, Riley Keynes, I think he'll be relatively happy with his uh, – to me, that's, I think, his first – Go in the big dance here. So fourteen ninety four for Keynes in sixth position. So, mm. what do you think? He'll, he'll be content with that, or he'll be wanting more? Yeah, so definitely wants more. Social media that he was, he was quite pleased, and I think that the one hundred and ten hurdles, especially at an open level, is just such a technical event. You know, you you take guys like Nick Andrews or Nick Hoff or even Jacob McCorry in that. Uh, Hoff and Andrews both have really high end flat speed but it's still taken them a number of years to really get the hang of, um, I know I'm, I'm trying to say um less, but really the, the hurdling, you know. Nick Andrews said it earlier in the season after things like Canberra that his best runs were coming when he said, surprise, surprise, I didn't knock as many hurdles, <laughs> which is just a lot to put together in 13 to 14 seconds. <laughs> Correct. All right, let's switch focus now to the 400 hurdles. Lauren Bowden bowed out on the national circuit um, with her final, well, I think she's saying it was her final appearance at nationals, 15 times at national championships, 13 gold, two silver. Lauren Bowden, hats off to her. What a what a champion. She won this one, 56-56, 58-24 to Genevieve Cowie. So that's not a close. Yeah, she was she was a long way ahead. Um, Victorians did pretty well. Marley Wilkinson in fourth uh, and Ashley Palmer in fifth. So in the middle of the field there for the two Victorians. But, yeah, Lauren Bowden, what a career. Yeah, and it's cool to see the that experience at, at Lauren's end in, in terms of just how good you have to be for that many years to really be just a driver of that event. You know, being a being a constant in it and competing at the international level so consistently. Yeah, that's a that's that's no small feat. We had a Victorian win in the men's, Chris Douglas. He's looking good, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's he's almost adopted uh, in, in sorts, but uh, I think I believe he did high school in in Texas. Um, and he was at Iowa State. For college, and he has a has a thick American accent, but he uh, did seem very excited to be back in Australia, uh, and was was really good on the administrative stuff as well. Was was checking in, you know, to make sure he well, was checking with me to make sure he checked in properly, and you know, all those little things. But yeah, he he's an absolute class above in the four hurdles. He certainly is. So proud foot. 51.36, so, sorry, 49.50 for Douglas, 51.36, that's a big win. 51.53 for Focus in third. The Victorian Major was in four, 52.31, mm. and then Connor Fry came in seven, 53.22, and that's before he turns into an 800-metre runner apparently, Sean. Really? I, I, I don't know about that. I think Connor had a rough night in that uh, as much as everyone jokes that, yes, it's a hurdle event, he did very heavily clip the 10th hurdle. <laughs> Which, as much as people say, oh, you shouldn't have done that, or of course you knew you had to get over the last one, it's like, well, yes, it's also the most excruciating part of the race where you've got the most crowd noise, probably the most adrenaline, the least energy, the least coordination, and you can see the medals in front of you. you know, the finish line is right there. And, yeah, he was he was really cut up after that, which, you know, you can totally understand, but still turned out for the 4 by 4 relay and, and ran a 47-point split. So, yeah, you know, managed to get maybe a bit of frustration out in that in that four by four. 
Uh, he's a very good man. Riley Day, not really too worried there in the, the women's 200. So 23.43 ahead of Monique Quirk from New South Wales, 23.83. 23.92 for Sophia Figuera from Victoria to get the bronze medal. Uh, the other Victorian in the race, Maddie Coates, came in 24.24 for fifth position. So Riley Day just keeps going, doesn't she? Yeah, I think for her it's more of a more of a box tick sort of nationals in that uh, it sounded like talking to Paul Pierce, her coach, that both you know Paul and herself had planned very specifically uh, to run that Olympic qualifier at a meet. Um, and once she got to nationals, I don't know. I, from what I heard, spoke to, talked about, I don't think there was you know, there was there was nothing negative, nothing wrong health wise. I think it's just coming off that massive high of running an Olympic qualifier in an event where she is respectfully a little bit ahead of the pack. Um, it, it can be difficult, but the I guess the interesting sort of toss-up from the week was that Tori Lewis in the under-17s did have the fastest time of the comp. Um, but, yeah, it's not to cast aspersions on Riley, but it's more that, you know, if, if we end up in a situation where we have, you know, some of those young guns against the Opens, maybe that makes it a bit more, a bit more interesting. Uh, but I think Riley just knew she had a job to do, and that is, you know, you've got an Olympic qualifier. Maybe do an ex- play it a little bit safe and, and just get the job done. You know, don't aggravate any injuries. Just get through it. Yeah, totally understand. I'll just tick that box, and that's what she did. Men's event was was nice and close. So uh, Alex Beck, uh, twenty eighty eight, took the win. Our very mm. own Drew Rodriguez Chico. We've got to get him on the podcast at some stage. Sure, <laughs> he's very on. very humble man. Yeah, no, he's a lovely, lovely man. I uh, got the silver. Is this where we had the block slippage or is that in the hundreds? Yeah, so uh, to summarise heavily, Drew may be the most composed man that was in Sydney last week in that he had a nightmare time with his blocks. He's a, If anyone hasn't met or seen Drew, he's a, he's a pretty big guy and one of the problems sprinters have in their sprint events is if you have you know, part of the track that's been relayed, sometimes it's quite hard to get the blocks to sit in quite firmly. So he had this nightmare in the heat where the progression was top one. Uh, I think it was next next two fastest or next three fastest or something like that. So it was quite cutthroat. And he ended up doing about three practice starts and swapping over a set of blocks and every single time they slipped. And the problem with that, Drew said, is you line up for the race worried that you're going to go head first when you try and start because it's quite a violent movement. So he was very ginger out of the blocks when he did start and, you know, had held the race up for six or seven minutes doing all these practice starts. And he said he hit 100 metres to go and he just thought, oh, God, I'm, I'm exhausted. Like, you know, I've done mm. half a training session in the last seven minutes and now I'm supposed to be running, you know, relatively close to flat out. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, we went, even though the officials told us it was no chance, you know, we went through all the protest and appeal processes um, and we weren't asking for anything improper he was the next fastest qualifier and missed the final by a hundredth and we were just asking in that there was a spare lane in the final because they only used two to nine um you know would would we be able to put him into lane one and you know a lot of i think it's the beauty of the not not nine lane track isn't it sean you know, yeah and i think more lesser, lesser sprinters would have bottled it and would have said oh i don't want lane one or it's impossible to run fast out of lane one or blah 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 blah, blah. um <laughs> But Drew put it really well after the final. He you know, thanked everyone and he just said he really wanted to prove to everyone that he belongs at that level. Yeah. Um, and, and I think he's done that. I think he's shown that, you know, he's not a, not just a pro runner. You know, we knew that with his performance at States. We knew he was a properly fast guy over the 200. And for a guy that hasn't been involved in the sport that long, 
Um, I think performing at that level under those conditions at a national championship um, is absolutely phenomenal. Well, well done to you as team manager for getting that through too, Sean. Uh, the other Vicks, uh, Will Johns, 2101, uh, was in fifth position. And Romanen, Michael Romanen, 2114, he came through in seventh. Uh, we will keep moving on because, you know, we don't want this to go for, for too long. Uh, let's go to the 400s. Uh, just a quick wrap of the 400s there. So if we have a look at the men's open 400, we had... Alex Beck, once again, he did the double, 2-4, 46-41, Solomon, 46-90, Tyler Gunn, who was an absolute mess at the end of this one, 46-95. Um, yeah. I was down in the tunnel. We, he was on oxygen afterwards, and it, they had to delay the yeah, presentations for quite a, a while. He's had a bit of trouble with that lately, and I think he just says that he's not sure how to fix it or manage it, but he does sort of send himself to the, the metaphorical shadow. Yep. <laughs> in the 400 and leaves absolutely no stone unturned and he just said he went to finish and his quads just he just said oh i, I just had nothing left to the point where he stacked it head first he did he went down no, i thought he'd broken a limb when they brought him off the track <laughs> it looked like he had a broken leg he could yeah. not weight bear at all and, uh, and i think yeah. he gets a little embarrassed that it does look a bit dramatic and he's, he's not trying to cause a scene it's just that he wants absolutely everything into that race um but it was just such an interesting showdown in that Solomon had looked so supreme in his heat and you know, been 32 point through 300 and basically just hit the handbrake and jogged it in. And, you know, Beck had sort of been the, the form favourite through the season. And so to get a national race where you get to see two really strong competitors just go head to head, you know, you just knew it was 1v1 for that race. Uh, it's, the, it's the showdown you want at nationals. Yeah. Definitely was. Cam Searle, he'll be pretty happy. 47 and 17 the man, position. The man's a yeah. tactical savant. He, uh, <laughs> savant. He flew in on, even though Brad Carter, his coach, is one of the most meticulously organised blokes I know, I think Cam stuffed it and thought his heat was on a different day somehow and flew in that morning for the heat. Oh, dear. And they had a pretty savage progression for the heats because they didn't have enough for semis. So Cam basically went straight from the airport to the track and Brad said, one, what are you doing? Two, you idiot. Three, okay, you've got a heat to run, switch on. And I think because he's still learning the 400 coming from that one, two background, he really comes home well in that last 50. Yeah. And that was exactly what he did in the heat to hunt down Jack Geary and get the qualifying spot. And again, in that final, he came home like an absolute freight train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kev Rasool rounded out the field in eight with 48-29 in the women's. It was, yeah, she's a superstar, isn't she? Bendero Oboya. So looking good. 52-20. Ali Beer, 52-76. And Annalise Ruby, 53-45 of the Vicks. Kendra Hubbard. Kendra just keeps on keeping on, which I love about her. So 54-27 for Kendra. She came in fifth position. Yeah, I think the main interest there was that Bendere had had a what seemed to be a series of race plans throughout the season and had obviously just been tinkering with with tactics to see how fast she could run. Uh, but very classy performance to take the win and, and great to see Ali be running really well again as well as, as a youngster. All right, let's go, well, an area of comfort for both of us. Let's go middle distance. Uh, Peter Bowl in the men's 800. Uh, not quite a box ticking. Well, sort of a box ticker because he got the, the win, but he still needs that qualifier, doesn't he? Where, where do you reckon Pete's sitting in the whole scheme of things in the 800 heading towards the Olympics, Sean? Yeah, I, I think Pete is a, he's a complex character. He's a, he's a deep thinker, loves a good book, um, and he's involved in a, a raft of things off track. He's a, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, but I think 
he's he's been frustrated by the season. He's felt like he's had that Olympic standard in him. And I think if anyone goes back and watches Canberra, I think Pete gets a bit excited when Joseph Deng steps off as pacer and he drops about, he's about 24-5 from 400 to 600. So he absolutely floors it uh, and said that, that, you know, he maybe cost himself the qualifier there in getting a bit excited. So it's just a hard thing for anyone that's not a middle distance fan. It's really hard to construct that sort of 800-metre race to get a time that quick in that that time is pretty rarely run in Australia. But I think with heat semis and finals, there were so many athletes in that field that had probably never run a semi before or had only done it once or twice that Pete was very much of a mindset to get the win, put yourself in the box seat moving forward, run the qualifier later in the year. And if you watch that last 50, he's got yeah, he's got another two, three gears left. Uh, he so certainly he, did. Very professional in winning that. One of the finds of the season, though, is Jared Mikulev from Queensland. Uh, probably not a name <laughs> we would have put up there for a medalist in this event. Well, see, I've known Jared since probably 2017 and that he was in the same junior age group as Archie Wallace and Christian Davis and he was always the guy that had really spectacular 400 speed to burn but he went missing for a little bit and he's been coached by Jaden Russ up in Queensland and he's a funny guy. He uh, he runs literally sort of seven to eight minute pace for his long runs. Um, there's proof on uh, various running apps. He's on Strava. A very gentle jogger. Uh, but has spectacular sort of turnover. And uh, as Jaden wouldn't mind me saying, he's a bit of a space cadet and um, had had that, you know, started the season, hadn't broken 150, ran 148 high in Queensland, you know, with a pace at a 400, and then ran 147 flat in Canberra, which really earmarked him as, hey, this should be a guy that should play a role in the final. And if you watch that race back, the entire field swings wide in the final to try to go around each other. And this golden pathway opens up for Jared. He goes, oh, great. And just shoots it up the inside and never, never gives up and manages to pick, um, you know, the prodigious talent that is Jack Lunn, uh, just on the line. <laughs> all right, let's talk all things Lunn then. Uh, came into this under a bit of a cloud, had, hadn't been all that healthy and then snags the bronze medal, 149. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. In To be fair, he's still a 146-point guy and he's one of the best juniors we've seen in the last 10 years. So I think he came in with, obviously, he's got a bit to learn tactically because it's just all very new to him still at that open level. But I think he's shown that he is a little bit more switched on tactically as you know, than some people might give him credit for. Uh, and, you know, I think he raced uh, quite respectably through the week. Yeah, well, let's had a little quick chat to Pete straight after the race, so let's see what Mr Bowl thought about it all. Pete Bowl, relieved, excited. What's it like winning that 800 final? It's actually probably one of my favourite races. Um, uh, the track classics were pretty intense because you got to pace and you're chasing times and nationals are just about winning, so it's a lot more relaxed when you're not chasing times. So. But, yeah, I'm so relieved because that means when I get the time, I'm automatically selected. So, yeah. Well done, Pete Bowl. Great win. Thank you. Appreciate it. Moving right along, women's open 800. It was uh, a much anticipated race, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, I think when when Katrina's that far ahead of of the field, and you know her main competition this year has been a 1500 meter runner in Lyndon Hall. Um, the main question going into that was just how fast some of the other characters could run in the field. So. I think there's an element there that people need to recognise is quite difficult still in that when your race tactic is effectively run faster than everyone else, it's still a relatively probably psychologically pressing tactic in that, sure, on paper, no problem, you know, you should thump the field, but you've still got to go and do it. You know, you've still got to put yourself out there to be sort of shot at by the rest of the field. 
but yeah, very uh, very professional run from Katrina uh, and fascinating to see how the likes of Claudia Hollingsworth and, and Tess Kersop Cole develop as, as real players in the field and, and the likes of Ellie Sanford being back on, on the track in a very serious way too. Yeah, and we had the you know the X Factor as well, Amy Robinson. <laughs> she is the yeah, X Factor in a number of events. Both events. What, she what? did the eight eight fifteen, made finals. Just taking it all in a stride. Taking it all in, and smiling all the way too. But the one two three was Bissett, Hollingsworth, Kersop, Cole. So a Victorian trifecta there. And then we had in fifth and sixth Robinson and the state champion Sanford. So Hollingsworth two hundred one seventy five, not quite a PB, but close. And then Kersop, Cole two hundred three eighty five. Is that fair? Did I get that right? with Hollingsworth, it wasn't quite a PB, or my I misread. Yeah, she was one? just off her time train in Brisbane. Yeah, uh, she yeah. not far off. Does shape up on the points front as could could sneak it. Just depends whether she races right. as I am in June or not. So cool. All right, got some real room there. Yeah, look, Kersop Coles made that transition from fours to eights, and look, first couple of goes, yeah, okay, two eleven, then went to two six. But then to get a bronze medal at the national championships uh, in that company wasn't a bad effort, and we did hear from Tess Kersop-Cole. Tess Kersop-Cole, I think this time last year, there's no way you'd be thinking you'd be standing here at uh, SOPAC uh, with a medal from the, the Open 800 metre champs. Oh, gosh, no, gosh, no. Uh, we actually were doing 800s to try and help my 400s, and then I spit out a, a 2.11 at um, Box Hill, and then we thought, well, let's give it a crack, and next one it was a 2.06, 2.03, and another 2.03 today, and I'm absolutely stoked. <laughs> yeah, look, the 2.11 to 2.06, I must admit I was surprised with that one. Did you get, did you, well, probably the 2.11 didn't show the best did it but no. gee that jumped to 206 that's a oh, that's a was, chunk five seconds so cool. yeah. i've been injured probably for three years this is the first this is the first time i've been to sydney since i was 16 like it's been such a journey um and i've just had such a great team around me they've never given up on me and we've got me back and yeah i'm so happy to be back i'm just loving it yeah so 203 um look there's so many good girls running around that time though yeah. you've got to be you know you've yeah. got to be up there to be competitive 100 and yeah i really gave it a go today like i came out I made my move with 300 to go and I left nothing on the track and I've, I've only been training for 800 for about seven weeks now before that I was a screen athlete so there's, there's a lot more to come from me yet um, and I'm excited to show everyone next season. Yeah that was a charging move I was yeah. down the back straight and called and I thought oh my god curse up Cole's gone wide and you went wide and you charged. And I charged I mean I came out here I had nothing to lose and I gave it everything and I'm stoked. Yeah. Oh well done Tess. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, yes, very interesting in the eights. Uh, let's move right along, though, the 1500s. I said the uh, you know, the Women's Open 800 was much anticipated. What would you say about the Men's Open 15, Sean? I'm a sucker for a good middle distance race, but, yeah, race of the week, just the, the, the build in that race throughout the week and then when it started, you know, the... Stewie clips through 300 in about 41 seconds and I had I had one New South Wales club club sort of committee member look at me and go, is that quick? And I said, yeah, like they're on. If, if ever Jai is going to run the time in Australia, this is probably the best opportunity he's going to have to do it. And look, credit, credit to Stewie, I guess, for taking such a bold race tactic in terms of just trying to run the field off their legs. But similarly, a, a phenomenally composed performance from Jai Edwards in just just keeping it together. The, the thought process through that race and the, the physical effort of just how difficult that would have been. And similarly for Stewie, what's going through your mind when you you know you're one fifty two through eight hundred and you you know you I think they were just a tick over 
I can't remember, but they might have even been close to that sort of 250 mark through 1,200. You, you know the qualifier is there. You know this yeah, is it's happening. the Giants. It's the quickest he's ever run in his life. And for Stewie, when has he had to deal with someone at a national level that's still on his tail at 1,200 at that pace? You know, you, yeah. you might have another tactic. It's like, I've just got to run faster. So, yeah, an amazing race to watch live. It was. And basically... There was nothing else Stewie could do. You know, Stewie did everything he could to win that race. Uh, and it's yeah, just I, that... It, it doesn't, uh, you know, I, I don't think we can skip over the fact that personally as, as distance viewers, I, I personally was a, a tiny bit puzzled as to why maybe he didn't try and pull off a move with the same ferocity from maybe 800 or 600 out. You know, I guess you bring other people into it. But at the same time, I guess maybe he didn't think Jai was going to go with it quite that, you know, quite that well. Um, but, you know, it, it's almost like, yeah, you've, you've run another guy into the team, uh, which was probably a little bit unintentional. Yeah. But, you know, I think Stewie is the kind of guy, as, as you know, we're going to hear from, is that he's, you know, he's a guy that loves to compete, a guy that is happy to, you know, to live with how he runs. Um, and, yeah, I think he, yeah, there's, there's not much. Yeah, else. Well, I, I was really lucky to catch up with Stewie virtually straight after it and, you know, yet again, what a professional this guy is. So here's Stewie. All right, Stewie, didn't go to plan today, but gee, what a year you've had. Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty good conditions. It was a, unfortunately, it was a little bit windy once we got out there, which made it tough leading, but I gave it a good crack. You go into any race, you try and execute the best race you can. If you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. It's part of the sport. So, yeah, 152, um, I think, through the 800. You were flying. This was, you know, and, and Edwards didn't have to do much, did he? He's just sitting on the back, and you saw that on the screen. I knew you were looking. Yeah, um, he obviously had a pretty good sit, but you still got to execute a good race. Yeah. So, credit to him and Rory. They ran beautiful races. Um, but it was a fun race to be part of. Um, you can never be unhappy if you're on a good race and lose. So um, I'll take a lot from that. I've still got a lot of room to improve before Tokyo. But I'm just happy the state of middle distance in Australia at the moment. Um, oh, shit, we've got yeah. probably there's probably five or six guys in that um, that race who on their day could win it. So um, it makes it fun to be involved in. And you're the man with more options than anyone. Uh, yeah, it's nice to have a couple of options. So I'll kind of sit down, work out what I think I'm going to have the best chance in, and then I'll kind of yeah focus on that. So I'm yeah. kind of kind of lucky to have that options going into Tokyo. Never a boring race with Stuart McSpain, is it? Um, yeah, I kind of like taking it on, so I think I'll keep doing it. Um, yeah, no matter if you win or lose, you just got to execute a good race. So I'm well, happy with that, and um, yeah, well done to the other boys yeah. for executing good races. Fantastic running, Stuart. Great year. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Tim. So basically, as you said, ran a guy into the team there because of his front running. Um, and honestly, I don't know if there's much more he could have done because the pace was on so much. Sean, how do you raise another level, um, even at Stewie's level? Because he's run 334, so he's getting, you know, that's, that's still <laughs> you, you a great performance. You can't, really, you can't really go back from that. That's the no. tactic. When it's obvious that you've committed, you can't really slam on the brakes at 800 and see what happens because you just bring everyone back into it and create carnage for yourself. So... Um, yeah, big credit to sticking with it when it would have been an excruciating tactic to try and pull off yeah, three laps in. Yeah, I, I was I was very fortunate to be at the 200-metre mark and in that last lap, you know, so I was right on the infield at the 200. So I'm right next to them as they go past and I could just see Stewie looking up to the main scoreboard because that's where you've got the video mm. vision coming up and I could just sense that he saw that Edwards was still there. He tried as much as he could to drop him, hadn't done it, 200 metres to go and you could just sense, I wouldn't say it was panic, but I could just see the look. It wasn't one of confidence, I suppose. It's the best way of putting it. And yeah, you know, and then I'm not trying. I'm not putting Stewie down at all. He did what he could to run the, uh, to win that race. It's just that Edwards, as we will hear very shortly, 
had the best sit possible with the best 1,500-metre runner Australia's ever produced. So let's hear from Jai Edwards. Jai Edwards, you're getting used to winning now. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't even know what to say. It's, it, that's a, yeah, for the highlight of my life so far, I guess. It's, um, it's been an unbelievable season. I couldn't have, I guess, um, couldn't have had it any better, really. So to come here and, um, I guess, just go for it and, and come out with that result, I'm... Yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, look, you're getting used to winning. Yeah. Stewie did so much of the work, though, didn't he? And you just had to sit. And a couple of times it looked like, the yeah, you might just fall back a bit, but you just hung on there, didn't you? Yeah, that's it. Well, like I say, he done all the work, really, and I was just there for the ride. Um, at the end of the day, I guess that was... I thought that would be his plan. I mean, for for him, he's probably the best option to try and run it from the front. And, you know, it was a little bit breezy out there, so it wouldn't have been easy at all. And um, he put the pace on my... My, I guess, goal was to just hang on as much as possible. And like you said, I think it did open up a little bit a couple of times, but I just um, I worked hard to try and stay there. And I thought if I'm, my best chance is going to be from there, one, 200 metres to go. And just thankfully I was. Yeah, look, new PB, great run. <laughs> really was. Great to watch. Yeah, great from you and Stewie. So congratulations, Joyce. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. So full credit there from Edwards to McSwain for setting up what was, as Sean said, probably one of the uh, foot races of the whole week. Uh, and Rory Hunter came in third position there, 337.32. So 333.99 was the winning time by Edwards. It's an auto qualifier. It gets him the, mm. in the ticket to, to Tokyo. Stewie, as we've said, Stewie's got options. What does he do come Tokyo? Well, that's up to him now. He's, he's got a few irons in the fire here. I think, um, but, yeah. I think that's the thing as well. Stewie, as we heard, is the kind of guy that, you know, this isn't going to derail his season. He finished. Last year ranked the third best 1,500-metre runner on the planet and will, will be a guy that knows there are things he can work on and, and more race ex, – well, not race experience, but more race sort of conditioning he can get out of races in Europe. Uh, and, we'll, yeah, I, I think the general consensus is that he does lean towards the 1,500 as, as being preferred over the 5,000 as, as his best event. And then even at the 10,000, if he decides to tack that on the end of the timetable, uh, is still an event where he's shown – He's got a fair bit of room to, to go. Yeah, certainly does. So the interesting question, though, that everyone's asking, you've then got Ramson and Hoare. So, <laughs> yeah, that's not up for us to decide. Ramson came in fifth. And, mm. you know, one of the things I've always said, that if you go to the Nationals, that's obviously going to put you in good stead for selection. Hoare obviously wasn't there. So this is going to be an interesting one, isn't it, Sean? We won't postulate been, on how they'll go. It's been... It's been talked to death, but I think the the more interesting factors that come from the week are that Rory Hunter you know, helps himself in that if he can run the time later in the season, uh, yeah, he's, he's got a strong case to the selectors and he also has a very helpful pacemaker as a training partner <laughs> to go for all the time as he showed him as Canberra. As Edwards, also, yeah. Yeah, well, he's also got James Nipperus as well who's no slouch and can really set those guys up for the first, you know, 1,000-odd or even 800-odd to them out. Um, and, yeah, you've, you've still, you can't write off the likes of Ryan Gregson. He's improved from race to race throughout the season and, and does have a phenomenal track record of, of just burying himself in incredibly fast European races and, and getting the qualifier. So, I think, you know, you throw Charlie Hunter in the mix as well, whether he focuses on the 8 or the 15. Uh, you've got a couple more puzzle pieces that will fall into place as we come closer to June. Cool. All right, let's move on. Lyndon Hall, she's the queen of the, the metric mile at the moment and she did 
you know, we've said this a few times. She ticked a box, didn't she? She won the 1500 meters. She has the qualifier. <laughs> She's done and dusted and heads to Tokyo, which is fantastic for Lyndon, you know, all time favorite of ours. Oh, what yeah. She loves the rest. Uh, yeah. She loves to put herself under the pump. You know, the second she qualifies for the final, she, she, you know, she's onto thinking about, about the final. But I, I think, you know, you've got to look at her season as a whole in terms of an athlete that, you know, the, the running joke used to be that she didn't have much of a kick uh, or much of a change of pace. Uh, oh, dear. Appears to have that in spades. Uh, and, you know, to notch up an Olympic qualifier in your, your off event is uh, handy. So really putting herself in the best place to be a factor in that final, hopefully, in Tokyo. But Yeah, definitely. It was carnage, Tim. Lap to go. Poor old Georgia Hansen hit the deck. Jenny Bell pulls out. And then Abby Caldwell launches a bit of an attack down the back straight. And there was there was about uh, Gav Barron, Abby's coach, and Abby joked about this after the final. She said there was probably a 30-metre patch with about 100 metres to go where she thought, ooh, well, I might be, I might be a chance here. And then her legs just said to her, uh, no, I think you've uh, <laughs> you've run your race. We're just going to put you into autopilot into the into the finish line. But to run 408 before you've turned 20, phew, what a what a season. That's it. She's improved 10 seconds on the season. Yeah, no, it's been good to watch, hasn't it? And look, honestly, yet again, I was at the 200 mark and I thought at that point, this isn't done and dusted for Lyndon because Caldwell and Gregson were charging uh, mm. and they were just about back in contact. After Lyndon had set up a bit of a lead, she'd got a gap maybe up to as much as 10 metres, you had yeah. these two bearing down 200 metres out and, uh, and that can be a critical point. So, you know, Caldwell's superb run. Gregson yet again, you know, she's class, isn't she? Jen Gregson is, she just never fails to deliver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, tenacious racer and ability yeah. at so many events. Yeah, Lauren Ryan gave it a good shot and good old X Factor Robinson came in fifth again. <laughs> so, Get on. Yeah, yeah what, a, what a pair. Georgia Hansen, as you said, hit the deck, unfortunately. Um, at, it was about the bell, wasn't it? I think Georgia went down. Yeah, right um, at the bell. And you just yeah. thought, oh, that's, yeah, it's heartbreaking to sort of, you know, be clipped from behind and there's not much you can do about it. Nah, but to get up and actually run 4.20.4 <laughs> after hitting run. the deck, that's a fucking good run. Yeah. yeah, that is a great run. So, look, it, it was a great race. Uh, yeah, I think with, um, uh, you know, apart from Lyndon's great win and, and you know, getting that auto for um, for Tokyo, which was probably never really in doubt for her anyway, uh, Caldwell's run is the one that sort of, you know, put her right into the national focus and uh, well done to Abby and also to Coach Barron on that one. Uh, we did have a very, very quick chat to Lyndon, so let's hear from Lyndon about two minutes later. Quickest, quickest interview in down the track history. How does it feel to win that one? Massive relief more than anything. I think there was, you know, I kind of had it to lose and mess up more than anything after, you know, everything had gone so well this year. But, you know, you've got to do it tonight at Nationals. Um, it's sort of the one that counts the most. So just relief not to mess it up, to be honest. Well, they were bearing down on 200 to go. So you yeah. would have felt them coming. Yeah, it was more people I've felt closer than I have for most of the season over 1500. So, um, yeah, that definitely made me get a move on. Well done, Lyndon. Thank you. Steeplechase action was also in. <laughs> it was, gee, that men's race, Sean. You can start on it. I think uh, James Nipress has to be the biggest worry for any competitor in Australia. If he is within any vaguely feasible distance of you with two laps to go, whether he looks dropped or not, 
you're in trouble. Uh, and you know, it, admitting bias, you know, I've I've been really good mates with Ben Buckingham for the last you know sort of 10, 12 years. And sure, he was disappointed after the race, but I don't think he was as disappointed because he did exactly what his plan was going in. He knew he needed to try and break Nipper from a long way out. And that was what he tried to do. And I think he just, you know, he felt like he maybe committed a bit too much on the back straight, maybe spent a bit too much and said, you know, he kind of felt it when he came into the water jump and thought, "Uh uh-oh, have I spent a bit much here? And then he said, look, his biggest worry down the home straight was just trying to get over that final barrier. He said he's never been that lactic in his life in a steeplechase. And you, you can see it in the footage. He takes about 10 starter steps into the barrier wobbles over it and, you know, Nipperus is coming home like an absolute train. But that move down the back straight, you know, Matt Clark tried to go with it and that sort of broke him and, and brought Ed Trippus into the picture. So across all the staples, you know, men's and women's, God, there's some selection nightmares coming up in those. Yeah, yeah look, I, I'll admit I'd called it. I'd said Buckingham had this uh, going into that last lap and Nipper just, Prove me wrong again. Um, he's got. And one of the, if anyone gets a chance, go look at James Nipris's interview after that final. If you don't get close to shedding a tear there, you, you know, you, you, I don't know if you're human because that was phenomenal to see him admit, you know, just how much it meant to him and, yeah. Yeah. you know, sort of a pioneer of the event in the last sort of five, ten years. And yeah, said obviously he wants to put himself in the best spot for the Olympics. As yeah, nothing's really ever meant more to him. So phenomenal bit of content there. Yeah, good. So Nippers 830.13, 830.54. It's very close. So Buckingham in second. Trippers 831.09. So they did come together a lot in that last lap. Uh, Clarkie then 832.06. Of the rest of the Victorians, Toby O'Brien actually did quite well. He reversed the state championship um, result where he, he got ahead of uh, Christopher Dale. So 901.89 for O'Brien. Dale 904.69. Uh, Robert White's from Western A's, 938.52. That was a... Big PB. A, yeah, yeah, big PB for Rob. So, you know, look, he's a, you know, I reckon that's one to sort of keep your eye on in the next couple of years. Gee, he looks the goods. But uh, yeah, just needs that little bit more age and a little bit more conditioning and hardness, I think, at this level. But uh, Robert's definitely um, a bit of a talent. Uh, women's steeple as well. God, you know, um, probably I reckon I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. I still think um, they allow too many people into this event who really can't do the event well. Oh, I'm going to go out there and say it. Without yeah. a doubt, if yeah. you well, go back and watch those last two laps, yeah. you know, Cara, Fien Ryan and her coach Ben Norton were, you know, consummate professionals about it and yeah. you know, didn't even entertain the idea. But I think as a spectator watching that, you go, look, if that's a clear last two laps, especially that last water jump, if, yep. if there's yep. no one in the way, how does that race pan out? Because I don't. I think, I think it was more the second last one, Sean. I think yeah, that was the critical yeah. one. I was actually there, all right. I was at that mm. water jump, and I was calling it from that point with Glenn up in the box. Mm. The traffic impacted the result. So I'm not saying Jen wouldn't have won, but Kara no. was dudded because she, you know, Jen was brilliant. You know, there was probably three lapped runners hitting the water jump at the same time. Uh, Their technique's not good. They're very slow through the water. Jen was bullocked her way through a couple of them and then just got the clear line and kept going. Cara had to go extremely wide, wide around traffic and she came out probably three to four to five metres maybe further back from Jen that she shouldn't have been, yeah. The qualifier for the men's event 
is quite firm. And even yeah. the Australia qualifier is yeah. not soft. Like you're not seeing quite that spread and carnage in the men's race. Whereas the the, 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 yeah, the, the gaps in, I, I get you want to promote the event, I get you want to develop the event, but I still think that's possible having a qualifier that's closer to say 11 minutes or a bit under, not it's out somewhere near 12 minutes. So you've got twelve ten currently, but the issue, you know, we were talking about this back in the box as well with uh, with Hamo, you know, one of the the you know icons of Australian athletics. The issue we face too, though, is that some states can have three competitors in this event, no matter what the qualifier is. Yeah. That's yeah. got to go. That no, is, think, you know, and we're a, trying to promote participation, but this became bloody that's dangerous. A concern. Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous yeah. when people cannot steeplechase. They shouldn't be there, and and it, I, I, you know, you could maybe bring it out to eleven fifteen as the qualifier or something like mm. that, and maybe have a secondary qualifier for the for the other states that if they don't yeah. get that, that you know maybe for some states it's the eleven fifteen mark, for other states it might mm. be eleven thirty. Eleven thirty has to be the cut. That has to be the cut. Um, yeah, because otherwise you end up with stuff like that where. You know, you can hypothesise till the cows come home, but in an even more high-pressure scenario, if you've got a number of athletes who've got an Olympic qualifier or really need a certain position for those world ranking points, you know, you're not deciding that at the end of the day off their ability to race. You're deciding it off their experience with dodging people going over barriers. And as, as you know, Ben Norton, who coaches Cara, said, all credit to Jen because she took the smartest line and he said, you know, I... Would have encouraged her to do the same thing. She, you know, she basically shut the race down in taking the absolute best line. Yeah, well, she was in the position to do it though, because she was leading, and um, so she took it. And as normal, Cara had to go that little bit wide on the water, as you do if you're in second yeah, position, because you don't follow straight over. Started started the season with I think a PB of ten nineteen. Yeah, she's oh, massive, right? PB within hitting distance of that Olympic qualifier is absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, really good to see Vic Mitchell come back out. I think that's going to be probably the end of her stellar career at this level, but she finished in seventh. So former Olympian um, has been on the fun run circuit a little bit in Northern Victoria, but she came out and had a race in her preferred uh, event, which was a stable, finished seventh in 10-10. Great run still from Vic Mitchell. Uh, but we saw, you know, like Brie Urbacker, she'd be, I, I don't know, 9.49 for Brie, just ahead of her mm. in third place, Paige Campbell um, in 9.46. Stella Radford, 9.55. Uh, so, you know, look, an interesting event, 19 starters, there's too many. <laughs> yeah, yep. Too many, yep. Anyway, let's move on. All right, next one's to cover. Let's go to the walks. The walks, um, nighttime events for them. Uh, I think it might have been Friday night for the, the women's Open 10 and then uh, the next night for the men's Open 10. Uh, women's Open 10, unfortunately, um, our very own Jemima Montag, uh, DNF, just wasn't feeling right. And I think with Jemima, look, she's got um, she's got the Olympic qualifiers. She's going to Tokyo no matter what. So this 10,000-metre track walk, it's not a... Not a well, it's not an Olympic event, event so yeah. it's fun, but not life or death. Yeah, not life or death. So, so what so, we saw there with the women is that it was the winner was Katie Haywood. As you know, she's a you know great performer. So Katie from Queensland, forty three forty six. Uh, Rebecca Henderson stepped up nicely, forty five thirteen for Rebecca to take second, and Clara Smith from Queensland she got third in forty seven oh one. Shifting to the men's the next night, and it was good old Reedy and Cowley. But had a good battle. Declan Tingay and also Kyle Swan. Um, 
they were, you know, really moving nicely uh, and Ridian just moved away from Declan in, in the final few laps. So 39-29 for Ridian to take the win. Declan Tingo, 39-40, then Cole Swan, 40-06. But we also had, um, you know, some good performances there in the under-20 men. And I think, uh, look, let's let's listen to, to Ridian first and then we'll have a bit of a chat about the under-20 men. Brilliant, Cowley. Your first 10k traps, tra- oh, sorry, trap, track Australian <laughs> Championship. It's been a late night here, but uh, 25 laps, 10k walk. Not an easy event, is it? Yeah, it's one of those uh, ones where you kind of try not to think too much about how many laps you got to go, um, just because you know, it's shorter, shorter laps. So you just kind of settle, try to settle into a rhythm and uh, hope, uh, hope to hear the bell at some point. Uh, it was good to be able to walk together with. Declan with Kyle for most of the, uh, the way. Um, you know, sharing the work makes it a bit easier for us all to go faster and I think that's ultimately we're all wanting to have a fast time. So, um, yeah, good to work together. I did notice a bit of um, swapping of uh, the lead between yourself and Declan. Was that a plan or...? Uh, oh, it's, not, it's not something that we always like outright plan to do. It, I think we're just, we've been doing a lot of training together and I think we're pretty happy to, and comfortable to swap the lead uh, and communicate with each other just because... Again, like we're just all trying to get some fast times, and uh, yeah, we know that you know if we if we're walking together, we may as well exchange the lead, and it'll make us a bit faster, and then we'll see who who has it in the last couple of k's. Also, a fair bit of excitement for the Victorians. We had uh, two of our own get that world under twenty. What, what were your thought? Were you conscious of that when you were getting around? Uh, yeah, I was uh, hearing hearing a bit about that on the um, uh, commentary. So sometimes you know when you're just trying to settle into a rhythm, you just find something else to pay attention to, and uh, yeah, it's it good. Will's been walking really well this season, but for Corey to, to come through and get a PB and also get that time, um, yeah, really good. Um, yeah, those, those guys have been also joining us on some training camps in the last few months, so it's been great to see their progression. And uh, yeah, been a lot of focus on Will, but I was really quite impressed by Corey tonight. He wasn't too far off the pace, and gee, he just maintained it. He uh, he looked like he was in a world of pain a few laps out, but gee, he just held strong, didn't he? Well, you wouldn't have seen it, but uh, yeah, I certainly oh, did. Uh, so it's good when, good, good when you finish, you get a chance to uh, cheer everyone else along. Yeah. But um, yeah, Corey's, I think, someone that's benefited from uh, just getting some consistent training working with, right. with everyone else. Uh, so, uh, yeah, hopefully he can, he, now that he's set himself a new standard, he can uh, go and repeat that. Um, yeah, it's good, been good to see him uh, progressing. Yeah. Well, well done once again, and thanks for your contributions back to our podcast, Mr Ridley and Cowley. No worries. Uh, it's uh, always uh, good to get a feature. And Corey Dixon, 42, 26, 87, both under the under-20 qualifier, Sean. Good news for Corey, isn't it? Because we knew Will could do it. Corey's now uh, got that mark. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's an event where you've really got to commit and put in a ton of training hours to, to develop to that level. So definitely massive credit to those guys for really working through that. Anyway, from under 16, under 18 to under 20 in open transition, in that, you know, the walk is one of the rare events where your transition from under 20s or even 18s to 20s to open, your distance rapidly starts doubling. And then from 20s, you know, you end up with having to double your distance anyway to do the 20K walk uh, or, you, you know, you've got to pick a 50. So it's a pretty yeah. brutal step up. 
certainly is. Uh, special mention too to Alana P at uh, forty nine forty seven for her in the under twenty women, and Charlotte Hay, uh, she got fifty three twenty five in that under twenty event as well. So, look, you know, as we're saying, not a, an Olympic event for the walkers, but for the under twenties, it did have have some relevance there. So, some good performances once again by our contingent of Victorian walkers. Probably enough talking for us. Uh, that'll be a wrap on segment number one or podcast number one of the Nationals Wrap, Sean, and we'll conclude that with the, the track events. So lots of good stuff to look forward to in the field, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. We've uh, done our best to cover absolutely everything for our, our Victorian folk. Uh, so, yeah, enjoy. <laughs>